There is an unseen hand to me that leads Welcome to the Unseen Hand Podcast, featuring the pulpit ministry of missionary evangelist Ronnie Brown. Listen in as Brother Ronnie shares the truth of the Bible and how God's unseen hand can lead and guide your life with each and every verse. This hand still leads me as I go. The tabernacle, it has been like we've started from the outside and we are making our way to God. That's the whole key behind the tabernacle. This is the tabernacle in the wilderness, the tent that traveled around in the wilderness. And so we've been making our way from the outside to the inside. And really the tabernacle is a beautiful picture of how man will fellowship, man can have fellowship with God. And so we've been looking at several aspects. We've been all around the outer court and we've seen the brazen altar and the brazen laver. And now we've gone inside the tabernacle proper. It was that tent in the middle. And Evan, can, do you have those printouts? Should be right there nearby. Evan, can you go by and give every family uh, one of those printouts? Give us here one. And so uh, we've been going piece by piece through the tabernacle. We've gone inside the tent and we've looked on our right hand and found the table of showbread and we've talked about that. On our left hand is the golden candlestick. We've mentioned about that. I believe that was last week. Well, this week we've come to the altar of incense. And so as Evan is passing those out, let's all stand in honor and reverence to God's Word. Exodus chapter number 30 and look at verse number 1. Exodus chapter number 30 and look at verse number 1. And thou shalt make an altar to burn incense upon. Of shittim wood shalt thou make it. A cubit shall be the length thereof and a cubit the breadth thereof, and four square shall it be, and two cubits shall be the height thereof, and the, the horns thereof shall be of the same. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, and uh, the top thereof, and the sides thereof round about, and the horns thereof thou shalt make unto it a crown of gold round about. And two golden rings shalt thou make to, uh, to put, see, to... Uh, to it under the crown of it by the two uh, corners thereof upon the two sides of it thou shalt make it and thou shalt be for places of the staves to bear it withal and thou shalt make the staves of shittim wood and overlay them with gold and thou shalt put it before the veil that is by the ark of the testimony before the mercy seat that is over the testimony and there I will meet with you and Aaron shall their own burn incense every morning when he dresses the lamps thou shalt burn incense upon it and when and when Aaron lighteth the lamps at even he shall burn incense upon it a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. And ye shall offer no strange incense thereon, nor burnt sacrifice, nor meat offering, neither shall ye pour drink offering thereon. And Aaron shall make an, uh, an atonement upon the horns of it once a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonement. Atonements. Once in the year shall he make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy unto the Lord. You can be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and we'll simply entitle this the altar of incense. But as you've seen with each piece of furniture, we've looked at a different part of the Christian life and a different part of Jesus' life. Well, tonight we will be looking at prayer. The importance of prayer as seen in the altar of incense. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dearly Father, God, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. God, we thank you so much. Uh, that we have a blessed assurance in the Lord Jesus, that you have blessed us, Father. Those that will honor the Lord, Father, you have blessed us. You have, been, you have given to us more than we could possibly ever repay. Father, we thank you so much how good you are to us. And God, I thank you for your Holy Spirit, that teacher that lives within us. And I pray tonight 
as we look at your word and as we as we go in and study it and, and think upon it as related to Jesus Christ and as related to the child of God, I pray that the Holy Spirit would give us insight. I pray that the tapestry of the word of God would show vibrant colors of what Jesus is in our lives and what prayer means to us and how important prayer is in the life of the child of God. Father, most of all, I pray that as we draw near to you in that ark of the covenant, in the very presence of God, I pray that we'd see more beautifully the Lord Jesus portrayed. God, I pray for those that may be lost among us without the saving knowledge of Jesus. We pray that the blinders would be taken off, that they'd see the gospel, the reason Jesus came and died for sinners, and they would come to this altar and receive you as their Savior. That the power of God may be manifest in their life by the saving of souls from the grips of sin. Father, we just pray that you'd be honored and glorified in the preaching of your word. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. Well, tonight at the beginning of my message, you know, usually I pick an illustration, something that something maybe happened to me or something I read somewhere as my illustration. And, and to be honest with you, tonight's illustration is pretty lame. Amen. I forgot mom and dad was going to be here, and I hope I can corroborate all the things that I'll say that I think happened in my childhood from this, from this illustration. I remember when I was probably a little older than Evan, maybe in the latter years of middle school, I got into ninjas, man. I got into karate. Now, we couldn't afford karate classes, and so I had to just... To just do what I could. I had to, had to buy a ninja magazine and I had to try to find books on it, try to watch videos of Bruce Lee fighting ninjas and so I, I could learn how to, how to do kung fu, watch all the kung fu David Carradine episodes on TV. I was going to be a ninja. And I got all into that oriental thing. And I remember going to the oriental shops and the, and the places where they sold martial arts stuff, I believe, at, uh, at the Eastgate Mall. And I'd go in there and they'd have all them throwing stars and swords on the wall and all that, all those uh, uh, uniforms for karate and everything. And they'd have those incense burners. You know, that's a big thing. Uh, in the Eastern culture, those incense burners, and they'd have those, and boy, I'd smell that. And I said, you know what? I'd like to have that in my room. I'd like to get me an incense burner in my room and get me some of those Chinese writings on the wall and make my bedroom look like a dojo. I mean, I mean, this was a kid. I was just man. I was just trying to do it all out. If I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go all the way. And so, but we couldn't afford it. I, I, we can't afford something like that. But I remember we'd take trips down to the down to the flea market. And we go down to the flea market and there'd be these little booths every now and then that would have a whole lot of incense. They'd have Bob Marley pictures on the wall and, and pictures of funny little green leaves on the wall. And uh, they really liked the incense. They burned a lot of incense around that little shop. And so it was a price and up. I got me a little thing of incense and I got me a little burner. Little did I know that that little place down there and the reason people bought incense from that little place is to cover up certain drugs, certain uh, illegal paraphernalia that I didn't know anything about. But I was, well, mom and dad kind of worried about that little spell where I had that incense burning in my room all the time and we didn't know what was going on. But nothing was going on, I promise you. I was clean. But uh, that incense was primarily sold there to cover up something. You know, they tried to cover up an aroma. Well, the incense in our scripture does the complete opposite. It doesn't cover up, but it shows something. It presents something before God. You see, in the Bible, incense is always related to prayer. The incense is always related to prayer. And the altar of incense was for presenting a sweet fragrance unto God. You see, this activity presents before us the New Testament activity of prayer. Prayer is a vital part of the life of the child of God. There are three aspects to prayer that I want to draw off of this table of innocence that can reinforce the principal position of prayer in the life of the child of God. So when you walk out of this place tonight, you ought to have some reasons why prayer is important in the life of the child of God. And actually, its position in this tabernacle puts it in a place of vital importance. 
And so we should put the same importance upon it ourselves and in our lives. The first thing I want you to see is this. I want you to see the pattern of prayer. The pattern of prayer. Now all through the tabernacle, we've seen a pattern or a picture of how sinful man can draw nigh a holy God. Was it James chapter 4 and verse 8 says, Draw nigh unto God and He'll draw nigh unto you. And that's what this whole tabernacle has been teaching us. How a sinful man can come to know a holy God. And this altar of incense is no different when it comes to relating to God. I want you to see first of all the pattern of entrance. The pattern of, a pattern of entrance. Now this second, this is the second altar we've seen. How many of you remember the first altar? Do you remember the first altar? It was the first thing we saw when we come through the gate. It was the altar, the brazen altar. Remember how we told you that brass was always a symbol, a picture of the judgment of God upon sin. The brazen altar was a place of sacrifice. It was a place of death. It was a place of blood. But this altar, we know from our text in verses uh, 1 through 3, that this altar is not brazen, but it's golden. This altar is made completely, or it is made of acacia wood that has been enveloped or, or, or encased in solid gold. You see, the only blood there in the tabernacle on this altar was not a sacrifice. He specifically told them, Don't give a sin offering here. Don't give a meal offering or a drink offering. Not here. All he said was, I just want a little bit of blood placed on the horns of that altar one time of year. You see, there is only one sacrifice that is needed. That's what this is telling us. There is one sacrifice that is needed. That's out at the brazen altar. That's out at... The cross of Calvary where Jesus gave His only his life's blood on the cross of Calvary there to die in the place of sinners. That's the only sacrifice we should have. In 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also hath suffered once for, uh, suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God. Hebrews 9.28 says, so, was Christ, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. You see, what the child of God does when he comes to the altar and he receives Christ as his Savior, his ultimate sacrifice for sin, he trades an altar of guilt for an altar of grace. You see, because I've been by the altar of guilt and my shame and Jesus dying for my sin. You'll remember at that altar, He placed His hand upon that sacrifice and He said, this animal is going to take my place. I'm the one that deserves to be judged. I'm the one that deserves to die and be placed on that altar. But this animal shall take my place. Same is true with every child of God. Every person that is saved by the cross of Calvary comes to Jesus and says, He took my place. He took my guilt and my shame. He took in His life's blood the judgment that I deserves. And at that moment, I trade the, the altar of guilt for an altar of grace. You see, we come to the altar of sacrifice. And then we, from there, what do we come to? We come to the basin of, of, of cleansing. The, 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 what, would, what did we call it? The brazen labor. And it's still that of judgment. Psalm 66, 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If you want to have a successful and a powerful prayer life, then sin has to be dealt with. You can't go any farther with God. You can't go into the place of intimate fellowship until the dirt of our feet, not the, not the sin and the guilt and the shame, but merely the dirt from the world, living in a world of sin, day, day in and day out, living in this old flesh, living with all these temptations. There has to be a cleansing. 
And that's why that laver's there. So we can cleanse our hands and our feet and prepare ourselves to go on inside. Once we go on inside, we see on the right hand, by the light of the candlestick, the illumination of the candlestick, we see the table of showbread. That's a place of satisfaction. That's a place of fellowship. That's a place of fulfillment and enjoyment in knowing God and fellowshipping with God and the illumination of the light of Christ. Listen, there were things about God I didn't care about, I didn't know about before I was saved. But when I come to know Jesus Christ, the light went on and I begin to make connections and see who Jesus is and what He means and how important He is in my life. And from there, we can go to the altar of prayer. We can go to the important place of prayer. What a pattern for our prayer life, isn't it? What a pattern of recognizing our guilt passing by that altar and saying, God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Go into that labor. Oh, God, cleanse me. Make me right. Go into that table of showbed. Tell him, God, what my needs are. And God, you meet my needs and you satisfy me. Going over to the place of illumination so I can see Christ as I've never seen Him before. So I can see Christ in the light of the Scriptures and then moving on to a place of intercession. A place of going before God and simply talking with God as with one man to another. It's a pattern for the entrance. It's a pattern for prayer. The pattern of entrance. And then I want you to see also that this is a pattern for prayer because of the pattern of incense. Incense. Now, do you know that often in the Bible, incense is directly connected to prayer? Incense in the Bible, when you read about it, it nearly every time is, con- is connected to prayer. Prayer, you know what prayer is. Prayer is not nothing fancy. Prayer's, uh, prayer is, is, uh, prayer is not nothing fancy. It's not a memorization of a, of a, a liturgy, a great long list of things you've got to memorize, but it is simply talking to God. That's what prayer is. You know, a majority of people say they pray, they talk to God. You see, uh, that's what prayer is. It's simply talking to God. Psalm 141 verse 2 said this. It said, let my prayer be set before thee as incense. As As that incense and that smoke rose up from that altar of incense, so let my prayers raise up to God. In Luke 1 through, uh, Luke 1, uh, 9 through 10. It, listen to what it said about John the Baptist's daddy. You remember about John the Baptist's daddy? And how that he was a priest before God. How he went in there and he was burning incense before the Lord. Listen what he, listen what he said in Luke 1, 9, 10. According to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he was, went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude and the people were praying without at the time of incense. There you see that connection. At the time of incense, when the smoke was billowing over into that most holy place, into that holy of holies, at the same time, people were calling on God in prayer. Revelation 8 or 5 and verse 8. And when they had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. They're in the book of Revelation. Prayer is connected to what? Incense. Revelation 8, 3-4. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer, and there was given him much incense that he should offer with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which is at the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. Prayer is connected to incense. Prayer is a vital part of worship. A lot of times when, when I pray, and I, I make it a point to this, that a lot of times when, we, when I come up here and I publicly pray, oftentimes I'll enumerate, Father, this is how we'll worship you tonight. We'll worship you through singing. We'll lift our voices in a sacrifice of praise. We'll worship you through our giving, sacrificing of our tithes and of our offerings and giving that unto you. We'll worship you in the receiving and the giving of your word. But one of the elements of worship that cannot be overlooked is prayer. 
prayer is an essential part of worship. That's why during every service we take time, maybe once, maybe twice, maybe even three times, to bow our heads and pray and seek the face of God. It is vitally important. This incense had the ability. Now picture it now. You've got this priest. And he's standing right in in this longer holy place. Candle burning over here. Table over here with bread on it. Here's that altar of incense. And he, he takes that fire and he takes that incense and he puts the fire down with the, with the, uh, with the pan onto the, onto the table there and he takes that incense and he throws it down on those hot coals and what happens? It immediately begins to melt and smoke begins to billow and fill the room. Now right in front of him is a veil. That's where the veil, just on the side of the side of that veil, the very presence of God, the Shekinah glory of God, the very presence of God was on the other side. He couldn't go in. There was only one time a year that a priest could go in. And if he went in and, and made one false move, made one sin, did one thing, God would slay him. But this priest could come right up to that veil and he could light that incense and that incense could go where he couldn't go. It would go beyond that veil and even fill up the room where the very presence of God is. Have you ever sat down at your table or your bed or in your closet or in your little private place of prayer and you call on the Lord and you think, man, my prayer didn't get no higher than that ceiling. My prayer didn't get no higher than the, than the, than the head of my car. My prayer didn't get no higher than the bottom of my bed. Well, the truth is, it does get higher than that. Your prayer ascends well beyond the rafters of your house. It exceeds the height of the nearby mountain. It slips the bounds of earth. It bounds its way across the universe. It penetrates the gold, the gates of pearl, down the streets of gold, right past Hallelujah Avenue and Amen Square and goes right to the throne of God in to the ear of God. What a pattern of prayer that incense is. Our prayers do the same thing. We may be disconnected physically so far from the physical presence of our high priest Jesus. But our prayers are not limited, not one bit. Not one bit. It filled the place and the holy place. And, and there we see a connection of prayer. You see, this whole scene with this table of, of, or this altar of incense is a pattern for prayer. But not only is it a pattern for prayer, I want you to see also it shows us the perfection of prayer. The perfection. Not only a pattern, but the perfection of prayer. You see, at this altar of incense, we find the one and only way of getting a prayer to God. And that is through the Lord Jesus. I'll show you that here in a second. Notice, I want you to see, first of all, I want you to see the position of the Savior. Now, we have seen Jesus in the wood. Remember how we've seen in the past? If you'll notice in verse number 1, he said to make it of that shittim wood or that acacia wood. It is that hard desert wood that does not rot. It does not rot easily. It's very sturdy and strong. It is a picture of the incorruptible humanity of Jesus. In Him was no sin. And then we look at the at the uh, we look at also the gold. How did that acacia wood in verse number uh, verse number 3, And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold. How that that acacia wood is overlaid with pure gold. And that is a picture of the glorious deity of Jesus. And so there we have, in the altar itself, in the very makeup of the altar, we have a picture of the God-man. Of the God-man. The two-in-one. Jesus Christ, He was as much God as if He had never been man. He was as much man as if He had never been God. He was the God-man. Perfect in His humanity. Perfect in His deity. These are the God men. Also, the altar was positioned at the center. Look at verse number 6. And thou shalt put it before the veil. That is, by the ark of testimony, before the mercy seat, that it, over, that it is over the testimony where I will meet with thee. 
You see, the closest to God that the Old Testament priest could get was the altar of incense. You, on a regular basis, you could not get any closer to God than that time of that incense, that time before that altar of incense. You see, Jesus, you know the story, Jesus died on the cross. He was buried in the tomb. He was raised on the third day. And as we preached in the book of Acts, He ascended to the right hand of the Father. Right now in the universe, in a human body, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, waiting for the moment of His return. But while He does, He has an intercessory ministry for us. You see, Jesus is our great high priest. The Old Testament high priest could go in. How many times? I told you earlier, he could go in one time a year. Old Testament priest, one time a year. He had to watch his step when he was there. One time a year. But Jesus is always at the right hand of the Father. Every moment of every day, He's at the right hand. Hebrews 8.1 Now the things which have spoken, if this is the sum, we have not such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the Father at the throne of the majesty in heaven. We have such an high priest who is set at the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens. Hebrews 7.25 Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that, he, that, that come to God by him seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Jesus is always, always at the right hand of the Father. That's the position of prayer. That's the position of prayer. Jesus is always our great high priest. Our go-between between us and the Father is always at the right hand. Not just once a year. Not just once every, every time the earth goes around the sun. But every moment of every day, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. And you see, not only do we see the position of the Savior, but also I want you to see the purity of the Savior. Look at verse 7 and 8. We see the mention of what's going on here at this altar of incense. And Aaron shall burn their own sweet incense every morning when he dresses the lamps and shall burn incense upon it. Why don't you take your Bible and flip over one page or so to verse 34 and 36 in the same chapter. Chapter 30, verse 34 and 36 through 36. Listen to what we have here. This is the makeup of that incense. Look at what it says. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take unto these sweet spices. All right now, they're going to have to go easy on me. Stacti. Onacha and Galbunum. What a time to have visitors. Amen. Galbunum. Uh, these sweet spices with pure frankincense. Nailed that one. Oh, of each shall there be like weight. And thou shalt make it a, a perfume. A confection after the art of the apothecary, uh, tempered together, pure and holy. And thou shalt beat some of it very small and put it before the testimony in the tabernacle of the congregation where I will meet with thee and it shall be unto you most holy. It is a picture of the purity of Jesus' life. You see, our lives, our lives given on the altar is a stench. What did, what did uh, uh, Isaiah 66 tells us? That all of our righteousness, me at my Sunday school best, me at my preacher boy best, is filthy rags before God. It's a stench in His nostril. Our lives is a stench before Him. But the life of Jesus, the pure and spotless life of Jesus, in Him, He had no sin. He was pure. All these items were pure and evenly distributed. Notice in verse 34, it said, Of each shall there be like weight. That means every individual item had equal portion put together to make this incense. You see, Jesus is perfectly balanced. His life is perfect before God. You know, we, we often get out of balance, don't we? If we get too much righteousness, then usually we don't have any love. If we get too much mercy, then usually we don't, we don't uh, stick with what the Scripture says. 
You see, we get out of balance really easy. But Jesus was always in balance. You take that woman that was caught in the midst of adultery in John chapter number 8, I believe it was. And how the, this woman was thrust before Jesus and they, they wanted a stone. Her. The Mo, they said, Moses' law says we ought to stone this woman. What do you say, Jesus? He that is without sin cast the first stone. All the stones began to drop. Jesus lifted up his eyes, looked upon this woman and said, Where are thine accusers? He, she said, They've gone, Lord. Neither do I accuse thee. That's mercy. Go and sin no more. That's righteousness. It's a perfect balance. You think about the cross of Calvary. You think about the cross of Calvary and justice and mercy. There on the cross of Calvary, Jesus was enduring the justice of sin on our, for our lives placed upon Him. But yet at the same time, He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. There's mercy and equal balance. Jesus was perfectly balanced. You see, justice and mercy are found perfectly balanced at the cross. In Jesus, Psalm 8510 has never, has never been so true. Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. You see, that's why we pray in the name of Jesus. That's why every time when I come to the Lord, I have a habit of saying, God, we come to you in the name of Jesus. Oh, not my stinking, filthy, rotten life. Not in the stench of my efforts. Not in the, in the, in the inept ability of my voice and my, uh, my wording. Oh God, I come to you in the life of Jesus, your dear son, that was perfect and acceptable before you. And then we close, and God, we ask these things, not because we're good, not because we are holy in the least little bit, Father, but because your Son is holy, your Son is perfect. That's what's burned on the incense altar. Not us, not what we could give, but who He is. It's it's the purity of the Savior. And then finally, I want you to see the power of the Savior. Look at verse number 3 in chapter number 30. Verse number 3. Thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, and the top thereof, with the sides thereof round about, and the horns thereof thou shalt make unto it a crown of gold round about. There's a crown on this. Then we talked about it on the table of showbread. There was a crown, and then there was another crown. It was something that kept the bread on the table. The, the, the bread was never to fall off the table because of that crown, that border, that trim that went along the outside that kept everything on the table. Same is true with the altar of incense. This crown gives us the security of knowing that not one single prayer we pray will ever fall off the table, will ever be missed. God says if we'll call unto Him, He will answer and show us great and mighty things which we know not. It is the prayer that is captured. And and the crown is representative of a king. He is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the omnipotent, powerful uh, king that has all of my prayers at his command. I want you to notice in verse number 2, notice the horns there, the last part of verse number 2, and horns there. If you've got your little picture, your little diagram there, shows these strange looking horns coming across the top. No one really knows exactly what they look like. That's an artist's rendering, an artist's picturing of what it might be. But you'll see those horns. Those horns are representative of power. Anytime you see horns in the Bible, you think about Revelation, the guy with the ten horns and the ten this and the horns and the horns. It's talking about power, great power. Well, here we find power in prayer. The prevailing power of prayer. You, listen, you may ask me, you leave here tonight, you say, Brother Ronnie, I've got a job situation. I need you to pray for me. Or, or I've got a sickness in my family. Or I've got a loved one I want you to pray for. And I do, I do. And you say, well, how do you remember? And I do pray for you because when you tell me, I pray right then. I pray right, 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 right there while you're talking. I'll start praying, praying for that person. Because I know, you know me, everybody knows me, I'll forget five minutes after I walk away. I just, it's gone. It, it, it'll leave my mind. If I don't write it down, and I don't put, but listen, when it comes to Jesus, no prayer is ever forgotten. No prayer. Not a single prayer. That is the power of prayer. He liveth. Notice in Hebrews 7.25, we read that earlier, that He ever liveth to make intercession for us. 
You see, tomorrow, sometime tonight, I'm going to be dog tired. And after we eat a little bit of ice cream and watch some of those uh, fireworks in the air, I'm going to pillow my head at night and I'm going to go to sleep. And I'm not going to be praying for you. I'm sorry. And when I wake up in the morning, there's going to be that first hour and a half where I don't, I have a hard time just communicating with myself, just telling my feet to hit the floor and make it to the bathroom and take a shot. I'm, I'm not probably not going to be praying for you. And there are going to be times in your life where I may not be praying for you. Oh, but I tell you, there is a Savior. There is a Christ at the right hand of the Father that always, constantly is praying for you. We talked about in Sunday school how that Jesus come to Peter and said, Simon, Simon, Satan had desired to have you, to sift you as wheat. But what? I prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. Jesus' prayers are always answered. Oh, I'm letting the cat out of the bag. i got to stop right there. But listen, Jesus is always praying for us, always at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. The power of the prayer. You see, the perfection of prayer is found in Jesus. You want to see the power in prayer? It's in Jesus, not in your power, not in how loud you get. Sometimes I tend to pray loud when I pray publicly. But when I'm by myself, oftentimes I pray very silently. Pray, pray, pray very whisperingly. When I listen, it doesn't matter how quiet you are, how spiritual you may think you are, how how loud you are when you pray. It's not your power; it's His power that answers prayer. It's not your purity. Well, I've had a good week, brother Ronnie. I've said no to temptation about fifteen times. I read my Bible every day. It's not your purity; it's His purity that gets prayers answered. It's not your position. Well, I'm a deacon, or I'm a Sunday school teacher, or I'm a pastor. No, it's his position at the right hand of the Father that answers prayer. Prayer has everything to do with Jesus. Oh, with Jesus. The pattern for prayer is seen in this altar of incense. The perfection of prayer is seen in the altar of incense. Finally, I want you to see the participation of prayer at the altar of incense. Now, we've looked at many aspects of this, of this uh, altar except one. You see, there could never be a burnt incense without a priest. The incense, from what I understand, that the incense was placed outside the tabernacle door, and when the priest goes over, he reaches in there with his guy. He's got his coals off the altar that are smoking in a pan. He goes over and dips his hand into that incense and fills it up, and he goes right over to that altar. And he places it on there and puts those coals on it and it begins to burn. But listen, without a priest, the incense just stays outside. The pan, the coals just stay in the fire. No incense goes up without a priest. You see, that is our position in prayer. That is our place in prayer. The participation in prayer is ours. We participate in prayer. You see, I want you to see, first of all, that participation in prayer is a privilege. Participation in the privilege of prayer. Now we notice, look at verse number number 7. Notice that first phrase. And Aaron, who is the high priest, shall burn, in, uh, shall burn their own sweet incense. Look at verse number 8. When Aaron lighteth the lamps. Look at verse number 10. And Aaron shall make an atonement on the horns thereof. Guess who's doing it? There is a person. God didn't send an angel. He could have. He could have said, man, this is too holy a business and you're too faulty. You've got too many problems. I'm just going to send some kind of angel or some kind of angelic being or some kind of creature, otherworldly creature to do this work because it's way beyond you. But no, God allows frail, fallible human beings Creatures that are prone to failure, prone to sin, to come and to give prayers unto Him. We are employed in the activity of prayer. Now you'll be saying to yourself, well, wait a minute, Ronnie. I'm not a priest. I don't wear a robe and I don't have a collar turned around backwards. And uh, I I don't go around chanting all the time. I'm not a priest. Well, guess what? You are. You didn't know that, did you? 
Well, you should. We preached on uh, in First Peter when we went verse by verse. We've talked about the priesthood of the believer. Every child of God that is saved by the grace of God. Guess what? You may not have any robes. You may not have a big funny hat like some priests have. You may not have a collar that you put around backwards. But actually, you are a priest. First Peter 2, 5 says, Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. We have the privilege of prayer. What a privilege. I imagine I listened to one author. He was writing about what it might have been to be one of them priests and how he approaches that veil as it comes in. How he lifts it up, he's got that censer in one hand and the incense in the other. And his heart's racing and he draws nigh to God. He senses the very presence of Jesus, the very presence of God, Jehovah. And he places that incense and his heart beat out of his chest. What a privilege to be before God. And as he spends his hours in communion at the table of showbread, partaking of the bread, at the light of the candle, trimming it, making sure it's at its brightest, at the altar of incense, what a glorious time. I'm sure as he left in raptured joy of being in the presence of Almighty God, I bet he thought, man, what a privilege. What a privilege. What a privilege. They say those priests maybe once, twice in their lifetime got to go into that room and bear that offering and do those that ministry before the Lord. What a privilege it is. The priesthood stood outside of the veil and worship God. Remember I told you, he stood at that altar of incense just right on the other side of that veil, the very presence of God, a presence of God that would smoke the sinful heart if he dared to cross in that room. You realize what privilege we have that he knew nothing about? Not only are we allowed to come into the presence of God and we don't need a tabernacle. We don't need a particular place. You can kneel in your car You can kneel in a park and it automatically becomes a tabernacle, a place of meeting with God. And not only that, not only can you approach God, but that veil. And when Jesus Christ died on that cross, the veil was rent from the top to the bottom. It was impossible for man to make that opening, but God Himself tore that line of separation and now man can come and approach God. Man can come right through the veil and approach God. You see, we come not of our own selves, but we come in the per- person and in the, in the life of the Lord Jesus. Hebrews 4.16 says, Therefore, let us therefore boldly come unto the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace in time of me. We're invited to come into His presence. And so often we overlook the privilege of simply bringing our needs to God in prayer. What a privilege to have an audience with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords at any time that I please. Well, there have been times where I've found me a secluded bathroom stall and kneel just to get away at a time and work and steal away a moment and say, Oh, God, God, I need your help. I need your ability. I need your presence in my life right then, right at that instance. I'm at the presence of God. I'm well beyond where any priest had ever gone before in the Old Testament times, in the pre-Calvary experience. I go well beyond that, the very presence of Almighty God. Glory to God, what a privileged prayer is. And so many Christians see it as a burden. Oh, that's why we preach. That's why we teach on prayer. So we can find the importance of things. So we can go into my morning and say, God, I'm coming in at a time of prayer. And I realize now what a privilege it is to come to your presence and give you my prayer. You see the participation in the privilege of prayer, but also the participation in the presenting of prayer. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't pray the best prayers. I fumbled quite a few up publicly. <laughs> you can probably attest to that. I've messed up. I've forgotten words, couldn't get words. It's like flying, it's like flying a, a, an airplane over an airport trying to get a place to land. That's a lot of times like my prayers are. I'm looking for a, the right word, the right place to land this thing and get this puppy into the hangar. I know like you, a lot of times we stumble over our words, don't we? You ever pray selfish prayers? 
praying, praying that things would go easier on you. God, please, let something go my way for a change. You ever prayed uh, prideful prayers? Oh, God, like that, that prayer. I'm glad I'm not like that person. I'm glad I'm not like those over there. Amen, anybody. I heard a chuckle or two. Uh, uh, maybe you pray uh, weak prayers. Oh, unbelieving. Oh, you, you just don't believe God will do it. Carrie talked about her sister getting right with the Lord this morning. And, and a lot of times, just previous weeks, she gone to God unbelieving. God, you know, I, I, I don't know how this will happen. And one more time, God, I come to you on the behalf of my, of my sister. And Oh, we pray such unbelieving prayers, don't we? Our prayers oftentimes are a mess. Our prayers are terrible when we come to God most of the time. What are we going to do? What's going to happen? Well, I'd like to give you a little illustration of what may be happening in times of prayer. We're, we're a lot like children when it comes to prayer. I, I got a picture of Grayson. He's in a Batman suit with a Batman mask on his head. And he's got a bundle of, of weeds, basically flowers, to give to mom roots and dirt hanging out of the bottom. That's a lot like our prayers we bring to God. They're more weeds than they are flowers. And we want to get something to God. We need to get this into the hands of the Father. And we pick up mostly weeds. And, and we might get a flower here too. But it's a mess when we come to God. We come to our great high priest that sits at the right hand of the Father. And, and we come to God and say, Oh God, I want to offer this to you. But before we get to God, we meet our elder brother. He's a lot smarter than we. The Lord Jesus, He's wise beyond omnipotence or omniscience. He knows what would please the Father. And so He takes our bouquet of mostly weeds and He pulls out that weed of selfishness. Pulls out that weed where we're trying to get God, we're trying to bribe God into doing something. God, if you'll do this, I'll do that. He pulls out our selfish prayers just to make things easy on us. He pulls out He pulls out our prideful prayers. He pulls out our unbelieving prayers. And then He puts in a few prayers of His own. <laughs> Peter, I've prayed for you. I'll, I'll fill that bouquet up. I'll, I'll make it pleasing unto the Father. And He takes that into the Father. And every time Jesus comes before the Father, it is pleasing to God. John eleven forty one and 42 Jesus was standing before the tomb of Lazarus. The stone was rolled away. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou heard me, and I know that thou hearest me always. I know he goes on to say other things, but let me stop right there and shout a minute that God always hears his son. You know what that means? That God always answers his son. And the prayers that I make may be awful, they may be terrible, but the son knows what to give the father. The son knows what I need. The son knows my needs in my heart. He knows what my life needs. He knows the wants and desires. He knows the perfect will of God and in doing so he gives them him exactly what I need for my prayers to be answered that's why Jesus said in John 16 24 hitherto have you asked nothing in my name ask and you shall receive that your joy will may be full you want to know why why Jesus said that you're saying well wait a minute I prayed to hit the lotto 15 times I even prayed in the name of Jesus to hit the lotto and to make it big. I got some bills to pay, man. I, I want to serve the Lord and be a missionary to, to Cambodia. And if God would just let me win the lottery, you won't do it. <laughs> you won't do it. Jesus knows you won't do it. And when you, when you pray in the name of Jesus, that gives Him every right to poke through and pull out what don't belong, what don't need to go up there and give it to the Father. Jesus said, Hitherto have you not prayed in my name. If we'll pray in His name according to His will, He said, I'll always answer your prayer that your joy may be full. Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. You see, a presenting of our prayers, we get to participate. I know we got problems with our prayers and we ought to try to weed them out as best we can when we come to the Lord. But the truth is, is that we have an elder brother, a high priest that prays perfect prayers and takes our prayers and takes them before the Father. In the end, in closing, 
That priest, you picture that priest there. What a privilege. Whoa, what a joy. What a great, exciting time. I've been with God. I've been in His presence. I've been illuminated. I've been satisfied. I've been interceding before God. And he walks out of that place and he pulls back that veil and goes outside to this world. He walks past another priest and that another priest goes, man, he's been somewhere. Did you smell that? Did you know where he's been? He's been in there with God. He's been in there fellowshipping with the Father. You know, people know it when we haven't been with God. I'm the most guilty of it in this room. People know it when we haven't been with God, when we haven't found an audience before God. People know it. We don't have the scent of Jesus in our life. We don't have that overwhelming and, and, and that personification of Jesus in our life. And people know right well we haven't been with Him. Oh, but how wonderful it is when we come from that prayer time and we face a new day and we come in and people say there's something different about you. There's something different about you. If we will spend time with God in prayer and in fellowship and communion with Him, we'll have people saying, I heard, heard it Saturday. Somebody said something about somebody else and said, boy, they got God all over them. Oh, that's somebody that's been in a very special place burning a very precious prayer before the Lord. Oh, how important prayer is. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Kevin, if you'd come with a song of invitation, let's all stand. As we come with a song of invitation, no one looking around. I tried to emphasize the importance of prayer in our life. Prayer is vitally important. And you may say, well, Brother Ronnie, you know, I really haven't, I, I've really neglected that in my Christian experience. I, I, I've really not, uh, I've not put the emphasis on it that I should. Maybe tonight you'd come down to this altar and say, God, I'm glad you brought this message, this thought into my life and reemphasized the importance of communing with you in prayer. God, I pray once again you'd make it a priority in my life. If I know anything is true, when I retrace my steps in my Christian life and I've found where I've been at my fullest, I've had more power with God, I've had more ability to reach lost people, I've seen God do more miraculous things in my life, is in those times when my prayer life was at its peak. I've found the most dry times the most miserable times, the most powerless times, those times and seasons where prayer is placed in the back seat of my life. Maybe you'd like to recommit yourself to prayer. You may be here tonight and you're a lost sinner. You have never genuinely met Jesus Christ on His own terms. You've said a lot of things, prayed a lot of prayer, signed a lot of cards, got into a lot of baptismal pools, but you have never done business with God in repentance and faith. I'd like to ask you to come tonight. Hey, the gate of salvation has been flung open wide. The sacrifice of Jesus on the cross has made it possible that you could come and receive Him as your Savior. There is a cleansing to be found. There's an intimacy you can know with God. Would you not come and repent and put your trust in Jesus? Turn from living life of sin and self. Turn from your wicked ways and come to Jesus. Receive Him as your Savior. Bow the knee to Him. And you'll know a fellowship with Him that you could never possibly know. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I love You. God, how You've smoked my heart in this whole passage on prayer. Oh God, how, how perilous and how, how awful the times of my life are when I haven't spent time with You. I pray that you'd help all of us, every one of us, rededicate ourselves to a life of intercessory prayer, a life of fellowship with God, a life of bringing our needs before Almighty God, a life of seeking the direction of God in our life through prayer. Oh God, I pray for the lost that may be here. God, that young person, that child that's coming to a moment of time when they realize their guilt before God, their shame is a sinner before God in need of a Savior. We pray that they would come, those lambs would come and receive you as their Savior. God, we pray for adults that may wear a facade of religion and truly not know the Savior. We pray that they would come and receive you as their Savior. We ask this in Jesus' name and for His glory. I'm trusting to
We hope and pray that today's episode of the Unseen Hand podcast has been a help and blessing to you. For more information such as other podcasts, ministry helps, blog posts, previous sermons, or how to contact Brother Brown directly, just go to RonnieBrown.net. Join us next time for another message from Brother Ronnie on the Unseen Hand podcast. Until then, may God's unseen hand gently guide you on your journey home. The Unseen Hand